You're listening to another episode of Battles with Bits of Rubber. Yeah, we are talking about the prosthetics event in Coventry yesterday, Saturday, November 13th. It's now Sunday the 14th, and Stuart and I are in Bolton, prepping to teach over at the university on Monday and Tuesday. Yeah, and it's good. And today's been a good recovery day, actually. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not even 7.30, and we're both in, in uh, shutdown mode. Yeah, well, the trouble is we had a lot of Indian food, so... I'm full up. It was delicious, but it's also quite filling into, into, yeah, a, and into a state of, of and spicy. Coma. Yeah, that was amazing. But yeah, so I'm just full and uh, yeah, ready to sleep, which is not good. So I figured we should probably have a quick catch up chat and podcast chat before we become insensible. Yeah, it was my first TPE, and I hope it won't be my last because it was great fun. It was uh, kind of a who's who. Uh, Ian Morse, uh, Joan Azaro, Cliff Wallace, Bill Corso, um, you, me. Uh, we had a great conversation with Paul Savage, who was a, an amazing paramedic and educator and quite a good makeup artist now. Yeah, there's a lot of good uh, stuff. Nick Dudman, Neil, Neil Gorton was doing demos, and it's, Neil started the event, so it's, it's his baby. Yeah. Uh, who am I missing? Jake Garber, we had a nice yeah. Jake Garber, my God, we had a fabulous conversation with him, which I hope will be one of our best podcasts. Yeah, it was amazing chat. It's really, really cool. Yeah, it was very good. So yeah, we're just kind of like prepping for that, and I know I've got a bit more to do for presentation tomorrow, but it was just good to go through what it was because we set up a stand there, didn't we, for our podcast, which we did record one podcast there. Yeah, and I intended to do more, but I kind of completely forgot about the fact that it was a crazy spots. day. Yeah, I, I just point me in the right direction, and that's where I'll be. And I wound up uh, judging a, a prosthetic competition and doing portfolio, which we don't. We both did portfolio surgery yeah. for a, a number of people, and well, I did three, but it took me two hours to do those three. Yeah, and, I, and I did five. So yeah, it was quite thorough. So it was a it was a busy day. There was a lot of talking, and I, I racked up about ten thousand steps, which is because it was big venue, so talking around. But it was awesome. It was really yeah. really good fun there. So that's very cool. And m- much much beer was consumed. Yeah, it was a light night. <laughs> <laughs> but very very good. But yeah, it was interesting. And what was nice was I think having I don't know your experience of the. The, uh, the portfolio surgery, but it's quite a nice intimate thing because it's just one person talking to one person. Yeah, one-on-one. So, you know, you get a lot of uh, information and a lot of detail. And I spoke to three people and uh, a lot of people that are doing the portfolio surgery at college or they just left college and obviously they want to, you know, appraise the portfolio. But what we kept seeing a, a common theme, I think, between people who are artistic and talented and work hard and are doing all the right things but I think they feel intimidated by people who are very successful online, mm-hmm. who are sort of influencers, who may not necessarily be. I feel a little skilled. bad for the for the young lady who who uh, pulled Bill Corso as as her portfolio surgery uh, critique. But at the same time, how fortunate was she to have somebody like Bill Corso to look at her work and give her career advice? Yeah, that's pretty slick. 
Although, like you say, quite daunting because, but you know, who better? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was yeah Jake. Jake was doing doing some um, some critiquing, as was Cliff Wallace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's it's good to do, to have that because I don't know if you get to choose who, so it's a bit of no. A I role. yeah. I I was just assigned these. Yeah, I I kind of lucked out because I think, with the exception of of one of the students' work, I looked at. They were all last year's MA graduates from Falmouth. Right, right. Whose work is exemplary. Yeah. And, you know, I had a few suggestions on what they could do to improve the presentation a little bit, but the quality of their work is already really good. Excellent. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? But that was the, that was the thing. I noticed that the, the quality of the work is good, but people's confidence about how they feel they can show their work is not necessarily in line with how good it is. Yeah. What I mean is there's almost like a direct correlation between how good your work is and how much you promote your work. It's almost like a lot of the people that are shouting the loudest on social media are the ones that are actually not working as, as hard. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, there's a, yeah. There's a really, there, there really talented a reverse people. correlation between yeah. the self-promotion and the quality of the work. Yeah. and so I think were, nature, the nature of artists in general, I think, is somewhat introverted yeah that you know and as i talked with the students at falmouth university earlier in the week i was there on wednesday um we we spent a good part of the day talking about the nature of being an artist yeah and you know we're never satisfied with our work and i think that plays heavily into feeling insecure when showing it to other people yeah there's insecurity but what i find odd is that there's there's a there's the it's the insecurity is increased by the fact that there are people who appear to be not insecure who Mm -hmm. are very prevalent who may have many many thousands of followers but actually what they're doing isn't necessarily good work it's just uh, eye-catching and appealing to a certain demographic it's not a demographic they're going to pay for that yeah and that demographic is not really schooled or educated or frankly qualified to judge good prosthetic makeup work no but it's it's enough for them to feel intimidated to to not feel like they 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 might feel like what's the point me put my work out there i'm not going to even get seen because this person here who's getting paid sponsorship blah 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 is going to walk all over me so right why bother and so that so i i think tomorrow when we speak to people at um at bolton i think it'd be really nice to have that conversation and try to help find a workaround a workaround but also just to speak to people who are at that age group who are trying to do that stuff the tiktok generation the tiktok generation yeah but they're the ones that are going to be i don't mean to to offend anyone by that either no well i i I mean, I'm not on there. I don't really. Do I don't understand that. TikTok. No, but but what? But when you, I'm open to I'm open to education. Yeah. My, if anyone wants to help out, but yeah, you know, I'm not. My brain has not wrapped around that yet. Known to the thirty second segments, but it's just the thought of what I mean is, I my experience of talking to those people made me think, oh, this is something worth pursuing, and I think the people we should pursue it with are. People who are at that age who could, do you know what I mean? It would be good yeah, to have I, a conversation with, with 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 twenty people who are in, who 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 could articulate better than I could the intimidations involved in presenting your work online because I see what I, what I see things that annoy me, but they may not be what are annoying them. Yeah. Well, um, one of the other, I think, one of the other drawbacks of presenting your work online is the anonymity of 
the, those who criticize or critique mm. or who are who are looking and, and replying though there are a lot of sycophantic responses where you know you could show a piece of dog shit with a flower stuck in it and people go oh my god that's brilliant <laughs> yeah don't no, stop doing what you're doing no it's a weird one but it's, it's trying to figure out you know who your who your clients are as well I mean the thing is that most of the people that I get paid by that I work for are not people who are looking for me on Instagram. They're people who I already know mm. and are working on shows. So the things that I can supply that they need, they know I have. Whereas I think if you're sort of on Instagram and you're trying to gather work, Instagram is a good place to put your work, but it's not necessarily where the, the paying clients are looking for their Yes, workers, Instagram you know should mean? not be the only place where you are presenting your work. Yeah, you might get found it can, there, it can be but... one of several but you know you really need a, a website that's dedicated to just showing professional work and finding gainful employment even yeah. if it's contract work absolutely but i'm just wondering if like if if someone was looking for a serious prosthetic make like the the, the person that's going to hire barry gower next won't find him on instagram they'll find him through production routes through recommendations because right. of previous emmy award-winning work so they, he already has a, do you know what I mean? He's on a certain radar that people are looking at. And so it's a case of knowing what I'm, what I'm saying. Is I don't want people to look at Instagram and go, oh, I can't compete with that and go, yeah, but you don't want those people anyway because they're not the ones paying for your, right. for you because the, right. the people who are admiring the stuff on Instagram aren't, aren't also shelling out hundreds of thousands of dollars for effects. Yeah. Instagram is just so, one, place. Uh, one, yeah. Yeah, one ingredient Maybe. in a means to an end. Yeah. But don't let it be the only one and certainly not be the most important one. Yeah. It's an interesting one, though, because it's something that really never, I never really got until I spoke to all of these people about how confidence was knocked by it. And it's this common theme and it always comes back to, I think, what they're seeing other people do. And it's that that feeling of, oh, other people are doing better because you can't see other people's failures. You only see their success. Yeah, and you cannot, so you, think, you cannot judge your own failure or success by the failure or success of other people. No. Because they don't matter. No. You just only want to be better you, than you were only yesterday. Only you matter. Yeah. <laughs> you, you only want to keep improving. Yeah. That's a really weird one. So I'm looking forward to having, to bring that up as a, as a, as a theme, a conversation. We'll let, uh, we'll let them kind of lead it and we'll record that conversation and see how it goes. But it'd be good to get some kind of resolution about it, figure out whether, whether, whether what I think is the problem is the problem and I can be told what, what you know what's wrong with my assumption about that and what we can do about it because it does seem like it's 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 really holding a lot of people back mm -hmm. you know really talented people who are very good yeah and not getting seen and not getting noticed and i think it's probably because they're not promoting themselves the right way but they have the skills their ability is already greater than many of the people they're envious of oh yeah just, no, you can't control your audience you can't make people like you you can't make people watch for those of you out there who are also in the same boat we hope this will help you find the tools you need to to have a, a bigger voice well by the time you guys listen to this we'll have already had this conversation with the guys at bolton so yeah by all means i would say chime in you know, email us and get in touch leave comments and, and i would like to know your opinion on this because like i say this is just you know in my case it's a 48 eight year old man's version of, of what the problem might be based on what i've observed to what people have told me but i could that's probably there's massive holes in that but I only know what I what I know from my point of view and there are going to be things that bug other people that have never bugged me because I'm not I haven't had those issues so 
without knowing those things, we can't really work together to address them and figure out what they are. So uh, my, my mission with this is to, is, to, is to try and see that people who are good at what they do can feel good about what they do. <laughs> do you know what I mean? They, could, yeah. they should feel as good about their work as they should and not just feel intimidated because they haven't got a million viewers and someone that's throwing a bunch of ketchup and ham on their face and going, look at me. Yeah, it's got glitter on it. Isn't that great? And you can't you can't understand why they've got ten million views because, again, when those things happen, it's because there are certain things that are obviously appealing to an audience, and that's fine. It's just it's not the same audience. And yeah. again, I was just trying to champion competence over bullshit because that's that that's what really matters to me is that you can do something. But yeah, if if um, if gaining followers is your aspiration in life, then then may God go with you. But uh, if if you are aspiring to work on the next Game of Thrones or the next Marvel success story or, or you want to work in film and television, then you need, you, need, you need to, to start looking in different directions. Yeah, it's a weird one because there are a lot of people I know who are very connected and they're senior, like I know a director, you know, who has less than five hundred because he follows because they're not, they're not, people who are well known in that field mm -hmm. so uh, but that doesn't mean they don't do a, a great job of making a living out of what they do it's just they're not on instagram or tiktok or whatever so yeah and, and and a great many of the big folks in the industry aren't on instagram or facebook and certainly not on tiktok yeah they're too busy doing good too stuff. busy working <laughs> to get that so making, making lots that of money it's making that connection between the two things <laughs> So the conversation that uh, I had first, we kicked off the um, the main stage was with a chat with Paul Savage. Now I, I, we didn't get any recordings of that because I didn't want to record a lot because it was with a presentation, so mm -hmm. it, wouldn't, it wouldn't sound very good without the images. So it wouldn't work very well as a podcast. But we had a chat with Paul afterwards, and he he was a paramedic, and he now he still advises a lot of people, and he um, he, he had a chat with us about uh, his mission really to try and improve. Uh, casualty simulation through making people realize about realism versus the fake stuff they see on TV and it was a really interesting conversation yeah and it, this applies not just to the medical field but very much to film and television mm. it's interesting because when you he definitely explains it better when, when you when you when you're trying to make something you know, graphic and, and, and realistic. Obviously, the trouble with doing clinical realism is obviously they, they things don't look how people want them to look because you might see a mm -hmm. bruise and it's quite understated and you go, but that's a real bruise. And it's like, well, yeah, but actually for this scene, it needs to be more dramatic. So certain liberties are taken. And the trouble is if that then becomes the baseline or people refer to that fiction as their reference, then it can kind of get further right. and further away from yeah. reality to the point where people don't know what real is anymore. And when they see real, it kind of looks wrong to them. And yeah, like, because well, virtually everything you see in film and on television does not is not what things look like in reality. Yeah, there's a certain... And those of you who've that. seen real catastrophic injuries will know this. Um, and sometimes, you know, you're at the... You're a slave to the whims of the director who wants something bigger and bloodier and, and more, hmm. even though it's 180 degrees away from reality. Hmm. That, that, that doesn't mean some wounds don't bleed very much. But it's fun to put fake blood on, so yeah. people do. Yes, and, and they put more blood, add more blood. Yeah. You know, I, want, I want gallons of blood. 
well, we don't have gallons of blood inside of us. Yeah, yeah, or you, yeah, yeah. You start bleeding after halfway through. All of this stuff yeah. I'm learning from Paul. This was a, yeah. this is a real education for me, and uh, yeah, it went down well anyway. And uh, yeah, so here's our chat with Paul, and uh, let us know what you think. And I uh, hope it doesn't make you sick. And now, Mr. Paul Savage. <laughs> The crowd are one cheered. Yeah, we don't do that over here. <laughs> <laughs> We're not very good at being um, showy, are we? No, I'm, I'm sorry I missed your presentation a few little bit ago. I heard it was really good. It was an interesting conversation because um, I felt that you could tell... Oh, hello. Well, you, you could tell that it was different from what a lot of people were expecting, I think. Was yeah. it full? It was pretty full, yeah. And there were a lot of people that came in at different times as well. So Nobody passed out? Nobody threw up? No. So basically, Paul, should we just have a quick synopsis of what the talk was about? Because it was a, an important one, I think. So I think we were just trying to get a message out there that if you're going to portray medical simulation or medical moulage in any way, shape or form, that it's as accurate as you can make it to try yeah. and break the cycle of fake news. There's that sort of feeling that, you know, if you tell a lie enough, it becomes the truth. And if, you know people are, are doing makeups based on a makeup that's fantasy and it goes down the chain before you know it that fantasy's become a reality so it's about trying to re-educate people about the the detail of representation of medical wounds if that's what you want and we're not saying there's anything wrong with fantasy and zombie and that sort of stuff but if you are alleging to portray medical accuracy and isn't it's based on the mythology that you've learned coming down the chain then then that's what we're trying to break we're trying to break that chain and introduce real uh, accuracy into medical simulation if that's what's asked of you. Have you met with much resistance from the entertainment field that have for, for quite some time now been portraying you know horrific injuries as you know like slitting, slitting a throat and it's spewing blood all over the place um, wanting to stay with this artificiality instead of going with what would actually happen if you slit someone's throat? I think the danger is isn't it I think there's there's that crossover where you're going to get the, you know, the desire of the the artistic desire of the director who's going to try and drive something in a, in a certain way, compared to that desire for reality. And mm. I think it's the pushback will always, I think, be from the senior end of the chain mm. rather than maybe the makeup artist saying, "Well, this isn't accurate," but then them being, you know, trumped by someone further up the, the hierarchy saying, "This is what's happening." So just, you know, make this happen. Um, I know of, I've been uh, talking to a, a guy who's a, a paramedic uh, acting as a medic on a work set. And, you know, he's been told to keep his opinions to himself because his opinions are not welcome. Uh, he's to go and sit in the caravan and be there if someone is medically poorly and falls over. But until that point, don't comment on the wounds, don't comment on what's happening because it's none of his business. And I think that's, that's sad when you've got someone who is looking over the shoulder going, it doesn't look like that, that's, that's not real. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm just on this this mini crusade just to try and make things a little bit more real. Well, I know a lot of shows have actual you know me medical advisors who are there specifically to advise on what's accurate and and what's not. And if you are paying someone to be there because of their professional expertise, and you're saying, I don't really want to hear what you have to say. We're just paying you to be here because we need to have a medical advisor that doesn't make any sense to me though I'm yeah, sure it happens but it does happen I mean I've done a couple of dramas where there were they did have a, a, you know, a pathologist in as an advisor and his job was to you know people would have questions like the, for example we did a, 
a woman had been killed and there was an autopsy two days later and it was a case of what, what I don't know what color the blood would be as the incisor this the whole thing was a close-up of a chest cavity being opened up with a scalpel and I didn't know what the blood so you know I would speak to him and mix the, the blood up to that color so that was really useful but at the same time some dramas they want something like Game of Thrones where they want the spray and that's fine because that's what it is but it's that thing if it's a clinical thing and I don't know the blood should be a different colour that's what you're trying to sort of point out isn't it it's that ignorance rather than it's, it's, willful kind of. I think it, you know people might turn around and say well so what why is it important why is it you know why are you, you keen on this and I think you know what we've seen in the UK is is that the generation now that are entering the emergency services for example you know paramedic science has gone across to a degree and therefore it's, it's not attracting the late 30s, early 40s people that used to in the old days who maybe come out of the military and join the ambulance service, you know, these are now people leaving school yeah. and coming to do a BSc and, and, and that's what they're doing. Um, and then when you find that from that sort of the, that BSc, they're arriving and they have that preconception of wounds and medicine based on what they have seen on the television and that, that sort of fake news has just run down through that system sure and they're just they're not ready for what that that degree is is trying to do to them yeah 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 so you find do you find some disillusionment among those those kids coming into the program having only seen what they know from from film and television and saying well that's not what it looks like on tv yep absolutely and that's that's where that's starting to affect actual clinical education that's what really sort of drives me is is we're seeing the end result of, of 20 years of, of feeding to, from telly you know and TV and film of, and then they arrive and, and the realism kicks in and it's like it is literally that the number of times people say this isn't what it looks like on television or this isn't what they do to that person on television and I think yeah. that you know maybe people don't want to see accurate medical portrayal maybe it's just not nice maybe people don't want it um, you know we are after all watching television and film for entertainment mm. but it's what upsets me is when people present things as 100% medically accurate and they're not yeah. you know. you're doing that compression wrong that's not how I saw it on on uh ER. Yeah. Or well, the thing you pointed out that was very interesting, like somebody who had a, who was bleeding and it wasn't taken seriously enough because it wasn't spraying up the walls. So because their interpretation of a serious bleed is, is a hose pipe kind of out the back of my hand, because that wasn't happening, it's fine. You're like, no, it's not stopping. That could kill it. They'll, you know, he'll pass out before he dies, but he might be on the loo when that happens. So yeah. you might not know about it until it's too late. And that's an example of how, you know, assumptions about clinical presentation do you know what I mean can, can yeah. feed into things sure. so it's, it's a very interesting oh, angle it can't, it can't be that serious because there's not that much blood yeah and then people not realising like we've just done in the presentation actually how much blood you have in you and, and you know simple things like that where it's, it's amazing actually that we, we walk around in these shells of human bodies our whole life and the majority of the population don't oh, have yeah, no interest like in finding out what's inside them you know put your hand over your heart and it's always right <laughs> Right yeah. by the left shoulder, and think. Excuse me. <laughs> Mine's on my sleeve. It's down here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> now, Paul did that, that thing of like getting everyone to stand up and say, you know, put your hands where your, you know, where your lungs finish. And it's like most people don't know where the lungs finish because yeah, it's they much much lower. It's like, yeah. show me um, where your stomach is. Yeah, and if you're doing, so, I mean, I, I guess if you're doing something serious, you would have, you know, you would research and that kind of stuff. But it's it's those kind of um, surface assumptions which people take and then spend a lot of time and energy producing a makeup on and you see that so much 
and then it goes on Instagram and then people just copy the copies of copies of copies and then you see a thousand pencils up the nose or cans in the eye whatever and I'm not denigrating did, those things as things how did that part of the presentation go over <laughs> I, it was a little stony, but <laughs> you, it was, you just hear the sound of pages crickets. ripping out of portfolios well the, the thing is I mean I, do, I didn't do it there because we didn't want to do it uh, I didn't want to you know when I've got smaller groups I will have I, I have a, a slide on one of the presentations where I have like literally a hundred of these to show everyone how much of an original idea it isn't and the fact is what happens is if you're going into professional portfolio you're trying to show someone stuff if you've got that kind of stuff in it it looks like you don't do any other research other than Instagram which is fine I mean it's a very good place to start definitely but it's just if you're going to do it properly seriously you need to research you need to feed your brain and also just from a a standing out point of view you don't want to be doing what everyone's doing I think there's a real desire to kind of blend in because you want to belong in a way you want to look like I do this stuff too but if it's all the same from a professional standpoint then you don't stand out and I say that as someone that's shown this in a portfolio I'd rather see a realistic looking nose that would impress me more than someone when, oh, I've seen a thing with 50 horns I've done 100 horns it's like yeah but it's just you know I only need to see three to, to, to know if you can do it or not <laughs> but humans don't typically have horns so the fact that there's any at all stops it looking convincing in the first place it's kind of like I have that thing about pig noses like if someone does a pig nose want to make you know it can be a beautiful it can be the best pig nose you've ever applied but people don't have pig noses so it looks like a makeup because it's so far sure. removed from what you are used to seeing and I think the danger with the medical stuff is a lot of people do medical stuff because it looks uh, it, well certainly from a starting point of view um, wounds are a great place to start because if you sculpt something and you make a mold and it goes a little bit wrong you can totally put a bit of blood and bruising on it and hide that edge and it's still a usable piece whereas if you did a, an age makeup that went wrong you can't really smother it in glitter or bruising well I, I had five know. five students showing me portfolios and the portfolio surgery that I did this morning and there was really only one wound in any of the work of, of any of them uh, and it was beautiful right um, and it was done from a reference photo of a, of a saw injury on her father and it had just the right amount of blood on it I mean it was it was beautiful and I, my suggestion was she needs to have the reference image so she can show what she was how working good it from looks. and how good it <laughs> looks because it looked absolutely real. And it was a nice gash across the top of the top of the just above the knee. Mm. And it wasn't profusely bloody the way you would tend to see a lot of student wound makeups. Because it didn't, the original said, well, yeah, the original didn't bleed that much. And I wanted to make sure that I matched that up with the makeup. And it was gorgeous. I wish I could show it to you right now, Paul, because I think you'd really go, this is aces. It was lovely. It's just, someone came out to us after the presentation and actually had um, recreated one of the uh, realistic wounds from the real wounds we'd shown. She'd really, really. She had that image prior. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. She re recreated the, the photo. And it was absolutely beautiful. It's an absolutely beautiful portrayal. So, sorry we didn't get your name, but a big shout out to you. It was an absolutely beautiful portrayal of an open fracture. Mm. Um, because she'd taken the reference image and gone from there. Um, and just, I don't know, I'm just passionate about reality. Well, I think that's something, too, that we can't emphasize enough to people who want to get into this field and learn how to do it, that you have to have a reference image. You can't work from memory because... Our memory is going to fail us. Yeah, or a memory you know, that is at least fed by reference yeah, over time. It's, it's, it, it may resemble what 
we remember seeing, but it's not going to be an accurate portrayal. You know, I, I, using it, I, I could draw a picture of a Corvette Stingray that it will resemble a Corvette in, in some manner, but it's not going to be a Corvette because I'm not working from an actual image or model yeah, the real to, thing. to recreate it. Yeah, and, and it's and the really crucial important. is having that reference image from a real source, a genuine source, yes. be it a textbook or be it because you can't oftentimes get real medical images these days because of the nature of, of patient confidentiality and such like. But that's the crucial, isn't it? Is that the reference image you're using is not the continuation of the lie being fed down the food chain of someone's imagination five layers above you. It's it's I'm using this reference image because it's as as real a photograph as I can get. Yeah from a textbook or from a genuine source and then I'm taking it from that. And there are some great text references out there. I mean, there are some forensic pathology books that that are accessible. They're quite expensive. Um, but, you know, if, if it's something you want to do, then do it right. It's, it's worth heard, the money. I've so heard you can find them online. And, 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 yeah, and there's some, there's some websites possibly. too that, that cater to images of, of gruesome deaths yeah. that are quite uncomfortable to look at I think frankly I think the thing to do as well is, is, is part like you were saying about reading is important so you actually understand I mean looking at pictures is great but um, that forensic pathology book the Jay Dix one uh, is it Color Atlas of Color yeah. uh, Color Atlas of Pathology I think it is um, and that's a really good one because it takes you from you know opening the door there's blood on the floor look to the left we go through this door next scene is the person you know against this and then you know then here we are on the slab and this is what we found inside them and, this. and it kind of talks you through the whole process and it's good because you realise there is a continuum uh, the, the, the picture you're looking at is a real thing that happened there was a series of incidents that led to that point there's a series of actions that happened after that point and this particular instance was you know at this point along that continuum and uh, you know, any in a week from now, it looked different, and a week before that was probably different. So, it's good to have kind of couch it in that reality. So, reading the stuff as well as having the pictures is important. Um, but yeah, and also learning the medical terms. I think so. Like we said, you know, don't put in uh, bullet holes if you're going to do a gunshot wound makeup. Maybe type in the words gunshot trauma or treatment of gunshot trauma or complications of gunshot trauma, and you're more likely to find pictures of real gunshot trauma rather than. A thousand makeups done in makeup school of bullet hole, or yeah, and, and and make sure that you know exactly what kind of end result you're you're working for, because you if if the the goal is to have a, a body that's been pulled out of a, a lake that's been in there for three or four days is not going to look the same as somebody just dumped at the side of the road and found later that day. Mm, yeah, but one of the other things as well is the. Um, uh, you know how extensive a makeup can be even though it's not a lot like we're saying about like shock for example if someone goes into shock they may blanch they may you know have that sort of cyanosis blue paper that gets really bad they get the sweats um, and if you're wearing like shorts and going to shock like your whole body might change colour and that's a big makeup job whereas if like, if they go into shock because of the gunshot wound and you spend all your time on this little beautifully made gunshot wound but everything else is healthy looking then it doesn't tell the same story which from a clinical point of view especially if you're doing simulation this is the thing if you're doing a simulation it's being viewed by medical personnel who are looking for medical signs and they're getting either the wrong cue like you're saying about your strawberry pie face yeah and, and so, so what I, I always do if I'm going to do a, a patient who's shocked I always dress them so the only bits of visible skin is their face and hands because then you can very quickly do a cyanotic makeup on their face and hands blend it 
so you almost don't get a farmer tan line, you know, because you don't want that, they roll their sleeve up and there's a, a farmer tan line. So blend it off. Because actually from cyanosis and shock perspective, if you're all you're asking that medic to do is to log that in the first 10 seconds on scene, that they arrive, because that medical gut reaction is based on, they've, they've, they've done some research based on what is the medical gut reaction when you arrive on scene and go, that looks nasty or no, that's okay. And it's the mixture of their respiration rate, their conscious state and their color. Right. general appearance so if you're there and you go oh you know you imagine arriving on scene someone's sat up so they've got a blood pressure they're sat up conscious talking and think breathing normally you sort of go hmm and your shoulders go down a bit whereas if you walk in and someone's slumped unconscious horrendous colour noisy airway big difference so you know when we're doing a cyanotic makeup I try and deliberately make sure no one is in shorts well, we might want to explain to some day. of our listeners what, what cyanosis actually looks like so cyanosis is a um, it's, an, it's as you lose blood you go through pale so most people all know what pale looks like and then you start to get a blue hue into it hence the cyan part of cyanosis so you start to get a blue hue into your skin which tends to be the pinkest bit go blue so if you're doing a face for example their face will still be pale but then their lips um, just under their eyes their ears the inside I mean not even make up the inside of someone's mouth but that would be the areas that you're going cyanotic and if they've got those sort of big port nose or ruddy cheeks those bits would be going so the pinkest bits head to the bluest bits um, in that sort of what we call a cyanotic presentation which is a, a medical term for advanced paleness if you like um, but I just I say, just do hands and face because hands and face with a bit of appropriate sweat, you know, glycerin sweat based, and you've got that gut reaction from the medic because that's all you're looking for is that you walk in and go, got it, that's not good. Um, you don't need it later on in the, in the you know, because they'll put the cyanotic presentation, then they'll find the wounds and they'll put their jigsaw together. Yeah. Um, it's very hard in medical sim to create, you know, because you might arrive with someone who's bleeding profusely internally, so you see nothing, and as you're with them, their cyanosis appears because they're continuing to bleed you can't stop it that's really hard to create without an intervention and you sort of like pressing the pause button on the sim and jumping in and going here we go you know and making them up which doesn't happen so yeah a nice little handy hint is just think about the clothes you're putting people in so you're not having to do the whole of their legs and arms and everything yeah. which takes you forever yeah the other thing as well when we talk about wax because obviously wax is a, a pretty cheap material and you can do some very nice things with it but the trouble with wax is obviously what you will remember is from a simulator point of view someone's going to treat that they're going to put their hands on it and put pressure on it and put a dressing on it and that may be more than one person doing it and of course wax is going to smudge and do you know yeah, it's going to steal right off dressing. when the bandage comes off so you know if you're going to do wax or um, dough or what it is, some kind of cheap material be aware that if someone's going to be touching it, it it could just trash it and all your nice hard work is gone whereas if you made a piece or something which obviously is more expensive and takes more material and time and you've got to prep these things but you know they would withstand being abused but that's the dip that's why we use pieces yeah nose and scar things. wax definitely has its uses definitely but, yeah um, I think better much better suited to still photography than any kind of um, tactile usage yeah where, where it's going to need to be palpitated manipulated and, and moving yeah and I, you know like you say if you're, if you're starting out it's cheap I mean the first things I bought were wax and a little super colour B palette diddle grease paint you can do an awful lot with it but it's it's fine so long as no one touches it and it doesn't move too much but then you just take those same sensibilities up to you know bigger scale and you're the same I think you started from your clinical background and you started doing makeup and then you started making prosthetics so you're learning all about the materials and the sculpting so you're kind of coming at it from the other way where you're you know, on that journey, but it, you know, 
It's it's getting there. I mean, I, 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 I'm surrounded by people who have got more talent in their little finger than, than I'm ever going to have. And so for me, it's just that that ability to help people on the bit that I do know, which is what things look like and, and the presentation you're aiming for and, and the, 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 the pitfalls when you do enter into to playing with either the emergency services or or when you're trying to create realistic medical stuff. And that's mm. you know, just helping people with the stuff that I do know rather than worrying about the my dreadful prosthetic applications that I do. <laughs> it's interesting you were saying about um, with the, another thing about the, the responsibility of people who are making makeups and stuff. Uh, one of the stories I told was in a, a job I did called The Walk. It was a, a drama about 12, 15 years ago. And it was a makeup of a mastectomy. So a woman had yeah, one yeah. breast removed and there was a big chest appliance that went all the way from the navel up to the shoulder and under. And she wore a shirt, so all these edges around the back were out of sight. But what was significant is the scene that the, the, the shirt is unbuttoned to reveal that she's had this mastectomy. So it's quite a big sort of scene. And the director was wanting the emphasis, the drama of the scene. He wanted to have a big ugly scar there. And the makeup designer, I can't remember her name, I must look it up, but she was very insistent that that was irresponsible, partly because it's not true. The surgery is very neat, clean, and, you know, if the tissues are healthy that are stitched back together, then there's very little in terms of scarring. It essentially becomes plastic surgery at that point. Yeah, it's very, very neat. But what was striking was, A, the absence of the breast and the, the difference of color from, you know, from the collar that's exposed to sunlight meeting skin from lower down. Right. There's a very thin line. And um, also the fact that the scarring, if, if you tell people that this is the kind of scarring you might have, people would be reluctant to act on anything. If they found something, they might not get checked out because they're worried cosmetic by the result. So that has a kind of responsibility. So she basically made the guy not do that because he just had, off the top of his head, being a bloke, never having had breast cancer or maybe he hasn't been around it, then it's one of those things where he was like, oh, that's fine. I think this, you all do this. And someone he's going, well, maybe that's not a good idea and here's why. And with the, with the gory stuff that we're doing, it could be that you go, look, we can do that, but that wouldn't happen. Here's what would happen. And if you get overridden, at least you know you've been overridden. And it's mm -hmm. their decision rather than the case of ignorance on your part. And we're all ignorant to something. We're all going to learn all the time. Every time I chat to you, I learn something else. I'm like, ooh, I feel a little bit clever because I've got a new little thing in my canon. And that's the beauty of this stuff. It's not a case of rejecting new information and being bullshit about what you don't know. It's a case of going, shit, there's tons of stuff we don't know. And it's good to let it in and accept our limitations and, and critique makeups for the you know what they are oh no just last night when we were sitting in the pub going over what you guys were going to talk about today just i, I learned quite a bit and yeah, you know I know. and i have a medical background so yes that's true you, you were doing pre-med stuff weren't you before yeah. you're doing effects and things so yeah it's it's an interesting an interesting area where makeup and and and, and the medical stuff meet but it's that responsibility and whose responsibility is it to kind of do that so there we go. That's basically the, the gist of the conversation we had this morning. And I hope it went down well. We'll find out in the fullness of time. Thank you. <laughs> I have to say, it's been an absolute pleasure hanging with you guys for the last 24 hours. Likewise. Absolute ball. It's been brilliant. Oh, man. Thank you so much. And it's great, great to finally meet you face to face. Absolutely. And, you know, the pub last night was a lot of fun. And just, just to interact and, and just, you know, you guys have taught me so much. Thanks, Paul. That was awesome. Gentlemen, it's always a pleasure. You can get in touch through our Facebook page or email us at stuartandtodd at gmail.com. Check the show notes for more information. If you enjoyed this episode, tell someone else and help us grow by sharing it on social media.
Thanks for listening.